Well, if the lights don't dazzle you, my paint will, I tell you. That's something. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You are our God through Jesus Christ our Lord, and we are Your people. You bless us. You give us health. You give us wisdom. You give us joy and peace. You give us Your love. You give us the forgiveness of all of our sins. You give us faith and hope. You give us eternal life in and through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we bless you. You are life. You are our life. You are the all-knowing God. You are the all-powerful God. You are the God of love. You are the God of truth. Your nature never changes. And you are good to us, your people. Now, Father, as we think of the world around us, we think of the need for peace in our world. We think of the entire Middle East. We think of the North African continent. We think of other places in this world that are totally consumed with terrorism, with violence, with death. It's strange to us, but we pray for them, and we pray that in your mercy that these things can be brought to an end. We pray, too, that you would be with all those in our military, especially those who are in harm's way. And we pray that you would keep them safe. And we do pray for the chaplains that minister to them, that you would give them a special measure of your grace to bring Christ very near to these soldiers who are deployed. Keep them, we pray. We pray for our divided nation. We pray that you would raise up godly leaders, true leaders, leaders that can truly lead in our nation, people that can bring harmony, people that can bring a consolidated direction. And Father, we pray that you would raise these people up, especially out of our churches, our Christian schools, and our Christian homes. And Father, we pray for ourselves that as much as it depends on us as the followers of Christ, that we would seek to be model Christian citizens in this nation. Now we thank you for the global spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the advances of the gospel in South America, in in Central and Northern Africa, in China, and other regions of the world. We pray, Father, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon your witnesses, upon your pastors, upon your missionaries. They and us together would be bold to tell people about Jesus Christ and the salvation that is his for this life and the life which is to come. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, we would pray. Help us to be instruments of bringing the lost to Christ. Save the members of our family, we would pray. Save those who have been our friends through life and those who are presently our neighbors and the people of Lake Oconee, people of Greensboro, people of Eatonton, of this region. Help us to be a lighthouse to these people. And Father, we pray for the leadership of this church that you would guide them in the pastoral search they're involved in. 
that you would lead them to the shepherd that you have chosen to come and to lead this church. And we pray that he would lead in a way that would lead these, your people, into service to you in this community, that you would lead them in service to one another, in service to yourself. And we pray these things in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is going to come from the passage that deals with the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, if you would turn there with me, that I might read these words. I'm going to begin my reading at verse 17, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup of the Lord, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself as he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Thus far, the reading and the hearing of God's word. The grass withers and the flower of the grass falls to the ground. But the word of the Lord abides forever and it is for our comfort and it's for our encouragement. Let us give it the attention that it is due. As we look at the scriptures, you see in the outline that if we're dealing with the Lord's Supper as a topic this morning and To understand the Lord's Supper and to really truly to benefit from the Lord's Supper, one must begin with what the Scriptures begin with when it deals with any of the sacraments, but especially the Lord's Supper. And in dealing with us as the Lord's Supper, we come to understand from the Scriptures that the Lord's Supper is a gift 
It is a gift from God, and it is a gift that we are to receive individually and personally to ourselves, and that that is the proper beginning of our understanding of the Lord's Supper. The book of James tells us about God's gifts. It says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights coming down to us, and in Him there is no variation, there is no shifting of shadow. You know, in our culture today, you have these symbols for the person of God. You've probably seen the one that is the black teardrop turned on its side with an equal and opposite teardrop of white that is on the bottom. Together they make a concentric circle. That is a statement of the Eastern view of the nature of God, that He is God, is darkness. He has got an evil side, a dark side to Him, and that God is also light. James tells us the opposite. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation, there is no shadow of turning. His gifts to us are good. What was that verse that we probably learned before we learned all others? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but would receive and have eternal life. God's gifts, the gift of the Lord's Supper. You know, we take, hopefully, time as we give a gift. I know that's not always the way it is. Sometimes I get some things and I wonder from where the person got the idea that I might need whatever it is what they brought. But normally we think of the other person when we go to get a gift. I know you get these things like I got and you pass them on. Don't do that. You know, just give them away. Don't give them as a gift. But God knows our need, and God gives us gifts to perfectly match the needs, the great needs, the great needs of our life. I want to ask you a question. Some of you are quite young. Some of you can't claim that anymore. What marks your life? What is it about you that marks your life? One Sunday after preaching, a very attractive 24, 25-year-old young woman came to me and said, can we talk? I said, we can. I met her on the front porch of an elder's house on a main street. Figured that she could talk freely. It would be out in the open. No one would be listening but me. And she began her tale of the things that she had done with her life in junior high and in high school. She said had she'd gone to college. And at college she'd gotten involved in one of our PCA campus ministries. And in that ministry, she'd come to faith in Christ. And in that ministry, she had met a boy. And the boy would have been very much further advanced in Christ than her. 
And, and so they were interested in one another, and it was getting serious. So he thought, she thought, I need to tell him about what my life was like before I came to Christ. So they arranged a time to do that. She sat down. She explained this to the young man. And when it was all over, the young man, almost pulling back from her, said, I could never be married to a person like you. This is what marked her life. Now, I... I looked at this young lady and I said, so if I could just summarize everything that you're saying and everything that you're feeling, you kind of see yourself as God's gutter girl. She says, that would be pretty close. Well, as a pastor, you take time and you explain God's gifts. And you explain that it's God's gifts in the gift of God's Son that is to mark our life. And the Lord used that in that young lady's life. And she's not a young lady anymore, but she's a wife and a great mother, and she doesn't look back. She looks at who she is in Christ and she looks into the promises that are the gifts of God for the future and she lives. Christ's gifts mark her life. Here's a young man. He's an officer. It's the last days of World War II. He looks and he sees two German shoulders going across the ridgeline, crouched down. He drops down to his knee, pop, pop. The two German shoulders are laying on the ground. As the battle moves forward, this young officer walks up and turns these German soldiers over. He questions whether either one of them were either even teenagers And it marks his life. This man actually is the recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor. You would think that would mark his life, but I can tell you to the end of his days, the killing of those two boys is what marked his life. A Christian looking to Christ but with a very difficult vision etched in his mind. You know, for some it's anger. Some, it can be addiction. It it can be abuse and dependence. It can be unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is one of the most prevalent things that marks the life of people in general. They have never forgiven. They're in gratitude in their lives. Does something mark your life? It can consume you. 
it can constantly reoccur and put you on your heels. And I'm, as I say this, some of you know personally what I'm talking about, but many of you know myriads of people for whom this kind of thinking is the way they live. Now, we need to be sure about this. Life in general, life out there, whatever life out there is like, that life will only be as good and as great as your Christian life. It will not rise above that. And if you live it down here, you may have much, but you're still going to be living it down here. But you can have people that have very little, and because they have embraced Christ in its fullness, their life is super abundant, even as the Scriptures and as Christ promises. God has designed His gifts mark your life and to mark my life and to be there in the forefront of our mind in any kind of a temptation to look back. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. There's no shadow of turning in Him. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to people whose lives are marked by other things in order that they would have not merely eternal life, but an abundant life here and now. What is the scripture always saying about us? Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus gives us himself in the Lord's Supper. The passage that was written, read for us from John chapter 6, Jesus is telling the people, you need to eat my body, you need to drink my blood. And they did not understand this because they were thinking of it in a physical manner of how can this be? It's kind of like the Nicodemus, how can a person be born again? Well, in the same way that Jesus wasn't talking about going back into your mother's womb. He's not talking here about taking a bite out of them. The language here is of a nature that is a once-for-all decision to embrace Jesus Christ and to receive him as the gift of God and to receive him into the very heart and core of your person. A friend of mine who's been gone on to glory now just about the same amount of time as the age of this church. I I can remember him visiting us in our home over in what's now Reynolds Landing, and I can remember leaving Reynolds Landing one night to go to Augusta. He had been killed in an automobile accident. This guy had a great zest for life. One of the things this man liked to do better than anything else was to eat. He wasn't heavy. But when he ate, he ate. And when he ate, you heard him eat. 
He, whatever you want to call it, chewed it, masticated it. He ate that food. Now that is the very kind of word that's used when it says, you need to eat my flesh. It's a joyful kind of eating. (laughs) It's a joyful kind of receiving. That we understand that what we're getting is a great gift and we're all about it. You ever been at a meal when you're all about it? I've been a lot of those meals where I'm all about it. That's what it means to receive Jesus Christ into yourself. The gift of God is Jesus Christ and we need to receive him. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He tells us the flesh profits us little. He says, I myself will raise you up on the last day. All of us have got a sin problem. All of us have got an end of life problem. All of us have in Christ an answer to these two great problems. We receive the Lord's Supper. And we receive the Lord's Supper as the truth that's meant to reassure us over and over again that these promises are true. That as we eat and drink, that we eat and drink all the benefits of what Christ has come and intended to accomplish in his life. A young person marked by sin embraces Christ in his fullness and finds that that's now what marks their life. An old man understands, even though the things that they've done are are hard to even conceive that they could ever do something like that, and yet the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Their life is marked by Christ. Now they are future-focused. No longer they focused on the past. When we look at the Scriptures, we focus on Christ. We're told all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus says, this is my body in the supper. This is my body, which is for you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is for the full and free and final remission of all your sins. And Jesus says to each and every one of us, you come and you eat and you drink. Now, how do we eat and how do we drink? And that brings us to the last point. The supper, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, has to be received personally and individually in faith. Your hand in a minute is going to take the element. You're going to hold it. Now, I wasn't instructed. Do you hold the elements? Okay. That was missed. I said, caught that. You hold the elements. And then after holding it, in a moment, an indication will be given. It's the time to take the element. And you'll take the element, and you'll take it into your mouth. It's not done you any good unless that element is received by faith. That all the promises that God has attached and Jesus has attached to what these elements offer are real and true, and you believe them. And you believe them about Christ. 
When we receive the elements by faith, we're receiving Jesus Christ himself and we're receiving all the benefits of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We do this frequently. You remember Peter? You remember Peter on the night in which Jesus was betrayed? Remember what happened? You remember three times, three times he denied Jesus once, even with an oath, a curse? Now, when Jesus comes to find Peter and John and the other disciples before he ascends into heaven, he goes to the Galilee, and what is Peter doing? What is he doing? He's gone fishing. Is this like something that you would do on the lake on a late afternoon just because you want to relax? No. What Peter's done is said this to himself. I'm washed up as a disciple. I need to get on with my life. And he's out fishing. I think John, somewhere in the night, probably had a sneaking suspicion that he had been there before. Because they remember what it said? They fished all night and caught what? Nothing. That's the second time this has happened. And so I I think John may have thought, "Uh uh-oh, we're not catching anything. Jesus must be around here somewhere. And sure enough, they come close to the shore. Jesus is standing there and says, little children, have you caught nothing? (laughs) You've caught nothing? No, we haven't caught anything. Well, let down your net for a catch. And you remember? It was a large catch of large fish, so much so that the nets almost broke. They bring them to shore. And Peter says, now, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? It's not more than the other disciples. Do you love me more than these fish? Yes. Then feed my lambs. He does this three times. Now, this is similar to the Lord's Supper. We receive the Lord's Supper and over and over again because we need the assurance. We need to receive the gift. We need to receive the promise. We need to receive the blessing. We need to receive all the things that say, I know that this is what marks my life. We're weak. He is strong. And this is how we are to receive the Lord's Supper. You know what Jesus says to Peter? Something like this. Okay, feed my lambs. You do this. Don't do that. Don't do that fishing. You do this, Peter. Don't do that. What Jesus, in a sense, is saying to you and to me in the Lord's Supper is this. You love me? Let all my benefits mark your life. Don't look back. Let what I've done for you be the thing that characterizes your, your living. Not some sin that you committed maybe when you were a teenager or some other violation in your ethical life as a professional. Don't focus on that. Focus on me and all of the benefits that I have. You know, there's some remarkable stories in the Scripture. Saul of Tarsus 
persecuting Christians because he hates them becomes the Apostle Paul and he writes 1 Corinthians 13. If Christ can take a Saul of Tarsus from that point to the point that somebody can write 1 Corinthians 13, what may he do with each of us for his glory? And what would that be to have that is what people remember us by. Not that he did this, but no. He came to know Christ and could write of the love of Christ. That's what the Lord's Supper intends to accomplish in our lives. Let's pray. Now, Father, bless us and keep us in Christ's name and use this supper as a means of doing that. Now we ask you to do this with thanksgiving in our heart for all Christ is. Amen.